welcome to Fear and Greed, the week ahead, where we take a look at the big events, reports and releases coming up this week that give insight into the economy, and a look back at what happened last week too. I'm Sean Aylmer, and every Monday I'm joined for the week ahead by economist Stephen Kukoulis. You'll find him at thekook.com, T-H-E-K-O-U-K.com, and on Twitter using the handle thekook. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, Sean. Before we get on to this week, cracking job vacancy figures last week. Oh, last week we actually saw some really positive numbers and the job vacancies is an indicator of firms wanting to hire, they need more staff, they're expanding their business, were absolutely fabulous. They showed a, a 30% plus increase in the quarter, the three months to May is the way the ABS measure it, up like a couple of hundred percent on where we were a few years ago. And the other way that you can analyse these numbers, I suppose, is look at the number of job vacancies per unemployed person. Oh, yeah. It fell to 1.9, which is the lowest ever recorded. So there aren't that many people unemployed per job vacancy. So as a leading indicator of what's going to happen to the labour market, notwithstanding what's likely to be a blip with the, the lockdowns that we're seeing right now, it says that demand for labour has been remarkably buoyant and remarkably strong. So that 1.9, so that's two unemployed people per job available? Effectively, yes, yes. There's a few little quirks in the number, but that's effectively it, and it's never been lower. And I think the date goes back to the 1980s. So we've got you know 35-odd years of numbers there, and that uh, vacancy to unemployed person rate is really signalling a hot demand for labour. And dare I say it, we, you know, we'll need another few months before we can see the hard numbers on these, but a pick up in wages growth, which would be a nice thing to see. Yeah. And then goods and services figures showed, a, I think it was another record month. Another corker of a surplus, yes. And uh, not surprisingly, too, we also had last week the RBA releasing the index of commodity prices. Yeah, it doesn't get high attention, but it, it confirms what we sort of know with the iron ore price, the coal price and other commodities that in Aussie dollar terms, commodity prices are at an all-time high. And when we're exporting huge tonnages of iron ore and these other commodities, no wonder we've got another massive monthly trade surplus. So we think about why the economy's done so well since the end of 2020, why we're growing strongly. Of course, easy monetary policy and fiscal stimulus were important, but also I think these buoyant commodity prices have been one thing that we haven't really examined when we wonder why the economy's recovered more quickly than anyone expected. Well, that was last week. We'll be back in a moment and get into the week ahead. So, Stephen, huge week coming up. Where do we start? Look, I think we start with the RBA board because it'll be one of those meetings that actually will make some decisions. You know, often they set rates and, of course, month to month they don't need to change them. This time around, well, obviously, rates will be on hold, but we're going to be seeing what their view is on controlling the yield curve. And you might recall that they were deliberately buying bonds so that they could keep the three-year bond target equal to the cash rate, 0.1%. Now, as time goes on, the yield curve moves out. And so they've been buying the April 2024 government bond. The discussion now is whether they extend that to the November 2024 bond. So they keep that three-year momentum at 0.1%. And of course, the consensus now with the economy being so strong as we were just saying, is that they don't need to do that. So all the money is being bet on the RBA announcing the improved economy, meaning that they will still have the target of 0.1% for the three-year bond, but they're not going to be extending quantitative easing out to the end of 2024. Okay, what about the term funding facility? Yeah, well, it's been hugely important in uh, allowing the banks and financial institutions to have access to low-cost, almost no-cost funding. 
they're going to be, I suspect, starting to scale that back as well. Yeah, we saw the credit numbers last week as well, showing that housing credit in particular is accelerating. No surprises there with what's happening to house prices. Uh, So they're probably going to be continuing the scheme, but just starting to signal to the market that they're going to be scaling it back and that by the end of 2021, they'll probably bring the scheme to an end. But, you know, that's, of course, because the economy is strong. You know, it's no longer needed to facilitate the banking sector. And again, if we look at bank share prices as a, as a yeah. proxy for how well the banking sector is going, they're doing very, very well. So if they talk about the term funding facility and they talk about the yield curve management or quantitative easing, they're the things that they'll do before they lift interest rates? Yes, indeed. Interest rates will be the last thing. These these other measures are really to keep the financial system functioning, to keep credit growth there so that we don't have that drying up of credit uh, when it's needed to fund the economy. You know, interest rate hikes, are, as they say in the class, it's more of a, a blunt instrument. They impact business, they impact households and consumers. The quantitative easing type measures and yield curve control and the term funding facility are more about uh, just making sure the banking system's still functioning, that we don't have a, an escalation in bad debt. So it's the first step towards a tightening in policy, which, well, as we're seeing, many of the uh, smart banks and financial markets are talking about rate hikes late 22 or 23, but that's a little bit further down the track. So do you think the Reserve Bank Governor, Philip Lowe, who's talking a couple of times this week, will be straying into that territory? He'll certainly be canvassing the wind back, if you like, of QE and these other things we just mentioned. In terms of rate hikes, he may, because we've seen the Bank of Canada, we've seen the Bank of England, and even the Fed, or a number of Fed officials anyway, in the US starting to flag the end of their near-zero interest rate policy. The RBA governor has not said that at all in this current upturn. It'd be a good opportunity to say, well, look, we, we still expect to keep interest rates, the official cash rate at 0.1% until early 2024. But if we continue to see this good news on the labour market, if we see wages growth picking up more than we're currently expected, then perhaps, just perhaps, we'll have to revisit that. And, and it wouldn't be an admission of an error or a fault or anything like that. It'd be an admission that the economy's improved much more rapidly than they're assuming. So it would actually be in my view, a positive signal to the markets that the economy is doing better than even the RBA was thinking. Okay. Now, in the next few days, we've also got a bunch of partial indicators, retail sales, building approvals, car sales. What do you expect from those? Oh, a blockbuster. And in fact, none of these will have been impacted by these lockdowns. I think just Mm. before we have a quick look at those, the, the current lockdowns that we're seeing across large parts of Australia will impact the data for, for July, when we get the July data. Yeah, All right. of these data are for the months of May and June, so they will not have been impacted. So they're probably going to be really, really strong. They're probably going to be showing retail spending, continuing to expand, the final estimate for the month of May. Car sales have been going great. <laughs> you know, There's been sure a shortage have. of cars, and they've been particularly strong. So those sorts of indicators are going to be saying that you know, up until the end of June, the June quarter, the economy was still was still humming along. And, and, and again, that's good news. And as we've seen on the lockdown issues, it, it impacts activity in a negative sense when they're on. But when they end, everybody who's been locked down, go out, gets a bit exuberant, yep. and then they spend up again. So it's more of a temporary blip down when we have these lockdowns. Do you think building approvals are also out? Do you think the construction sector, the heat will come out of that? Yeah, look, I think so. The house building uh, component of the building approvals were absolutely super duper strong because of the incentives from the Commonwealth and state governments on home builder and these sorts of things. And they were taken up with gusto. And 
again, we're seeing shortages of some of the uh, materials, you know, timber being one of them in the in the construction process already. So uh, they're being phased out. So all the building approvals, which remember is just a, a piece of paper submitted to a local council, can I build this property? It's not actual activity just yet. They are probably going to be starting to taper down Whereas actual activity's probably got a pipeline of you know a good twelve months of actual activity, but as yeah. a leading indicator, that's why we look at building approvals. If they start turning down, it says to us that you know late twenty one, early twenty two, this current construction boom that we're seeing will will perhaps peter out. And ANZ job ads is the other big one, which uh, we've just talked about vacancies. Imagine they'll be pretty strong. They'll be strong if the, if there's a correlation between the two, which there is the ABS measure and the ANZ measure. We're going to see hot demand for labour continuing. Yeah, Stephen, have a great week. Thank you, Sean. That was economist Stephen Kukulis, better known as The Kook. You can find him at thekook.com and follow him on Twitter using the handle The Kook. I'm Sean Aylmer, and this is Fearing Greed, the week ahead. 